Thanks for joining us for episode 11 of Couples Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. The first and third Wednesday of each month, we drop episodes with advice, tips, and real-world experience for partnering in business and life. I'm Jody, a business owner and communication strategist, and at my age, I could never backpack across Europe. My meds alone could fill a backpack, and then add the products in the 18-step skincare routine you need when you get over 50. I'm guessing I maybe steamer trunk it across steamer Europe. Steamer trunk, or if the backpack were a new compact car. Yes, I could car, car it across, but yeah, there's no backpacking for me. The new Chevy backpack. I'm Glenn, Jody's partner in life and business, and I give my playlists pet names like Sunday Bacon, Gut Bucket, and Hippie Trip. I enjoy Sunday Bacon a lot. You might like Gut Bucket and Hippie Trip, too. Yeah, maybe. On today's show, we talk about different management styles and interview a couple about matching their personality type with their business roles. At the end of the episode, our guest couple sticks around to take a couple's quiz. Now, without further ado, let's get started with episode 11 of Couples, Inc. For our big topic, we wanted to talk about different management styles. Yes, and I have the best management style, don't I? Of course, yes, absolutely. What is your style? Is there like a name for it? It's freeform. Freeform. I just do, I don't even think, I just do. You just do. And the re- you're you like the, the Yoda. Results. You're the Yoda of manager. There's no try. There is no There's try. no think. There's no fail. There's no... With me, just... there's no think. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. So talk to me about... Uh, I know you did a couple of... Um, you researched a couple of articles and yeah, found a couple of styles. So talk to me about some of the things you found. Because I think we all have a management style or we've all worked with someone who's had a management style that either we really liked or wanted to emulate or we didn't like. And then so we incorporated it in our own style to not be like that sort of like a, a, you know what not to do mm-hmm. so tell me a little about some of the management styles like the official names yeah i was looking at americanexpress.com for this i kind of googled it around mm-hmm. and looked around the internets and everything and there's a book uh by bruna martinuzzi who's the ceo of clarion enterprises and a leadership communication coaching specialist okay and it's called <laughs> the leader as a mensch yeah, I, you're you're nodding at me like I've got ten heads, but this right. is this is legit. Okay, yeah, okay, and it really lists seven different leadership styles, and this is kind of I guess the catch-all uh, in, in the seven. I've seen four leadership styles and ten leadership styles and everything, but this one seems to be a pretty good list that kind of puts everything into uh, yeah. I these think categories. it's it probably depends on like how much someone subdivides you know something. If you're you might so I could see so let's listen to the, see those seven and see if we think that we could either combine, add to, or what, what we think about right. these. Okay, the first is autocratic. Okay, and the catchphrase for that would be "Do as I say." I have worked for some of those types of managers. I'm, I'm working sure. for one now. What? But hey, if you have a problem, you can always talk to Jody in HR. I've left so many voicemails. I know. She's just so yeah. hard to get. <laughs> Autocrats believe in making all the decisions by themselves, as the name kind of indicates. More common in traditional workplaces, mm-hmm. like where there's a, a boss and then a vice president. and Like a traditional um, hierarchy that you yeah, might see. Okay. Yeah. The model has been going for centuries, basically, even back in caveman days. Me boss, you not. 
there's Og, then there's senior vice president Gog, and then there's yeah. Um, so do they did the list the pros and cons of each of those or? It kind of does. It says that the um, this leadership style, the autocrat, may still be appropriate if immediate and important decisions need to be made. Because you can't, let's say that there's an emergency, something has happened to your Mm -hmm. toenail clipper factory, and it's going up in smoke, and you need to, you know, make a decision about whether to close, what part to close, stuff like that. Now, that's an apocalyptic sort of scenario. Right, but it does make me feel that is sort of the military hierarchy mm -hmm. when decisions, you know, there is no questioning, it's there is no committee deciding something you may take insight from different experts but it does have to come down to this is the person and in crisis situations sometimes that is the best or you've got inexperienced team members that need immediate guidance right like you said in the military is it autocratic yeah autocratic. autocratic may be the best fit if you need like you said something done quickly and decisions need to be made by one person so there's no delay Number two mm-hmm. is authoritative. Now, that's different from autocratic. Autocratic has aspects of authoritative, but this is like a follow me type of thing. Oh. That would be the quote for this person. Okay. They're often considered visionary, uh, and they engage their team and help clarify direction. So it's not like they give commands. Mm-hmm. They let people have some leeway for meeting their goals, and they tend to explain their thinking more in detail than the autocrat. The autocrat is do as I say. Yeah. This is more of a inspirational, um, follow me, I'm your leader. Trailblazer. Kind of a trust me too kind of thing. Yeah, it kind of is. Some ways. Um, without being too touchy-feely, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the number three is the pace setting. And their quote would be, keep up. They're driven and results-oriented, and they set a pace that they want the the rest of the team to follow. They get things done quite a bit from that style, but they can stress their other team members out with constant pressure to perform, and they work well with an entrepreneurial-minded team. Let's say that you have Mm -hmm. a group that maybe they have business ownership experience or they are headed that direction in their career, then these people would be a good match for that group. And this name again is? Pace setting. Pace setting. Okay, so this might be something along the lines of some of those startup tech company leaders, maybe? Is that kind of when you're thinking about this management style, is that what comes to mind? Yeah, I think definitely those would fall into the uh, the same category here. The Lee Iacocca was always okay. credited with being some somewhat of that kind of yeah. style. But I don't know if he would be more... Pace setting or authoritarian? And authoritarian, mm. I, we, author, wait, is authorita- authoritative. Authoritative. Yeah. Yes, authoritarian has like a bad connotation. So authoritative. Yeah, there are some leaders in the past that were pace setting, but I do think what you were saying about it with burnout, it does feel like it is the management style of, uh, of startups or up and coming entrepreneurial endeavors, not something that can be sustained with a long lasting company Mm. Um, and maybe that's the kind of person who's like a serial entrepreneur or someone who moves from once they've done what they can at one company they move to another you know what it might be more appropriate for is for uh, a team that is sort of rotating 
through different phases of a project mm-hmm. or different phases of the company structure. So they don't get bored. So, yeah, they get this leader for three months mm-hmm. and they finish a component of the project or they may finish the entire project. And then the leader or the team rotate off. They rotate off of that project or off of that uh, mm-hmm. that part of the company. It seems like it would be very difficult to work for a pace setter, though, because if they're always on... They expect others. It's kind of like the people I've, you know, people have complained about sometimes their managers will email them at three in the morning because they're awake at three in the morning. And that's where you just have to say, okay, setting boundaries. And this is what I love. There's a um, a uh, person I worked with who sends out emails and her message includes my hours may not be your work hours because I know she has kids. So she works during the day. Then she spends time with her family and then she might be oh, sending yeah. out emails like at 11. And she clearly says, I don't expect a response. My hours are different than yours. I don't expect a response until, you know, you're ready. So That's nice. Yeah, and I think sometimes managers who are pace setters might not remember that it's okay to send out an email at 3 in the morning, but let be sure people know that there is no expectation for them. And that's kind of, that's where our pace setter, unless they, they understand the boundaries, would be difficult to work for. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. The fourth is democratic style. How do you see it would be their tagline. Democratic leaders tend to share info across the board. They also seek opinions before deciding. And I think that that's something that's kind of, I haven't seen a lot of leaders that are like that mm-hmm. in my career. But I think if you look at um, some of the tech companies that have come up over the past 20 years or so in, in the tech sector, they've probably had these type of people leading some of their teams or the entire, the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Um, Whenever I hear something like that kind of leader, my first thought is, and I know this is not a real world situation, but I always think about um, Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Picard. Yeah. I would think that Kirk would have been much more of a authoritative or pace setter, where Picard yeah. was much more of a check with the science officer, check with the engineer. Uh, number one, what are your suggestions? And then ultimately make the decision. And but then very, make it so. And then make it so. Mm-hmm. After he pulled down his little jacket and that little... His tunic. Yes. But it's like... It's not a jacket. Or whatever. But anyway, it's... His blouse. His, his approach was very much like that. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that kind of style feels like you get the better result because you ultimately make the decision and you are guiding everybody, but you're pulling in data... No pun intended, because he's oh, a character. Him too, yes. yes, but you're pulling in information from yeah. other sources, and you're getting the expertise out there. Or it kind of also, I think of a baseball team sometimes. Huh. In that, look at the way the catcher and the pitcher talk to each other. Sure, there's information gathering before a decision is made, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, well, what do you think? What are you seeing? Sometimes and, the manager comes out. Mm-hmm. He'll give his, and then the first baseman comes in. Right, but so, but there's and you like get the shortstop, <laughs> the outfield. For pretty soon, everybody's everyone, a meeting on the mound. Yeah, but there there are times when it's like there's there is a leader, but then there's also a lot of input that comes from different different sources through the codes and things like that. So I yeah, I see that that is my yeah. I, again, I don't know if I've worked with many democratic because it's very hard to. Sometimes it's harder to do in the real world. Yeah. It says it fosters creativity, trust, team spirit, and cooperation. Mm-hmm. That's utopia. I, oh, yeah. I, that's, yeah. That's why it kind of calls to me. Yeah. But, you're, but there are a it's lot of... It's kind of like what we have when I am leading 
something right with our company exactly i think it's it's an ideal and i don't think that it's impossible but sometimes office politics different agendas on the negative side or also just time mm. you know it may not be a case of anyone has anything against anyone else or they're difficult to work with it's a case of there's just not enough time to get that input in yeah so yeah uh, there's the coach that's number five his catchphrase would be consider this okay more of an influence as opposed to a directive yeah. or as opposed to a you know do exactly. what i say yeah coaches believe everyone can achieve their best with some direction and they have the team development agenda and they want to harvest people's potential and maybe they want to harvest their organs too i don't know so tell me again the the democratic phrase what was that how do you see it? How do you see it? And mm-hmm. tell me the coach's phrase. Consider this. Consider this. Okay, so it feels top down with the with the coach, maybe, but inspiration. Yeah, and it may be mislabeled a little bit. When mm-hmm. I first read this, I thought, well, coaches, I think, especially the coaches that I have paid attention to in different sports, have either, depending on the age of the people that they're coaching, they have had to be very authoritative in nature if the younger people are, are the ones that are on the team, or with people with more experience, they've had to be sort of managerial mm-hmm. and so, kind of strike a balance. Right. But if you take it into the business world, the word mm-hmm. coach, yeah, you put, but you put it in the business world, it feels like it is something that's trying to sort of be that guide, the um, sensei to the student or something like yeah Yeah. so it's i feel like that but it's like it's more of like i know what the answer is but i'm going to help you get there sure where the democratic is i have an idea of the answer but i want to hear what your thoughts are to make sure it's right so it kind of feels again the the communication direction the democratic seeks those opinions before Mm -hmm. they make the and the coach and the coach may not know the answer but the coach is inspiring you to come up with the solution I think that's probably a teacher, too, Mm -hmm. the coach and the teacher. They don't mention the teacher in this, but it's been my experience that teachers are a lot like coaches in that they really thrive on helping people get to where they want to go by mentoring them instead of pushing them, Mm -hmm. not having, you know, so much of a drive and keep going, keep going like that sort of thing. Unless it's encouragement to explore different options, different solutions to situations, things like that. That, to me, is the mark of a great teacher. Mm -hmm. And so it may be that the coach would have a lot of teacher in them. Yeah, and the other factor in being a coach or a teacher is a lot of times you spot talent, Mm -hmm. and then you try to cultivate that talent Mm -hmm. where the uh, authoritative or the autocratic, autocratic, Mm -hmm. I don't think they're as interested in talent as much as they're interested in you doing something having results results. Mm -hmm. yeah they're not interested in you have potential or talent i'm going to cultivate it it's you are either in the right job or you're not and i have expectations and do it sure so i think that um in some situations the coach and the teacher and however we want to phrase it is good for maybe a small business that is um, community oriented or you're trying to to find people that you're going to grow with with mm-hmm. your company, and you're not just a you know a cog in a wheel, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and I would think that for one and two, the writing is kind of on the wall, especially with the current generation of workers. Mm-hmm. If you aren't willing to be flexible to some degree, 
then you're going to really have a challenge finding people to fill the roles that you want. Right. The affiliative is number six. Their quote is, people come first. Okay? Mm -hmm. This is the most personal leadership style of all of these. They seek connections, and they support the team's emotional needs. Now, we were just talking a minute ago about the current generation of employees or team members that are coming into the workplace. This looks like a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. It looks like it was just tailor-made, geared toward harmony and collaboration, and they are very useful if conflicts arise among staff members or in times of great stress. That is a great management style, if particularly if your business um, works with the public a lot. And it can be a very stressful situation. And having someone who can mediate and solve problems without making people feel less than. That's one yeah. of the things I'm reading about with the difficulty in um, finding people to work in the retail or food industry is beyond just the pay or the conditions is the humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the customer's always right, but do they get the right to do you know, degrading things to your employee? No. And how do you create an atmosphere where the employee feels valued and trusted? And a lot of times that kind of management style can do that so that you still make sure the product, the service, whatever is right, but you do it in a way that you look at the, it's a person. You look at the person who is struggling to do whatever it is, who works for you, and, and you help them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's one of the things I think people are talking about is treating the people who work in these industries that are struggling to find people. It's partly, you know, the stress of the job and the disrespect that they feel and having a manager who understands that. Um, I will never forget when I worked in retail in New York, um, this I didn't know who who was next. Um, you know how people get crowded around a register and yeah, you're busy. Yeah. And I'm like, can I help so you? So you were next? working a register. I was working a register. Yeah. It was an accessory store and there wasn't like a an actual line. It wasn't like a grocery store where you you know and I was like, uh, can I help who's next? And someone came up. I don't know. I wasn't monitoring the crowd. I don't know who is there. Mm -hmm. And you kinda but a person who was in line, instead of being upset with that other person, not that I think that was good either, it's a line, get over it, they were yelling at me and just, just I just, oh, wow. it was, it was, it was a horrible experience. And I'm like, and I just, I just walked away and I was, and I said, you know, I said something, well, I'm, I'm sorry. And I walked away and went to the, the back room and I will never forget this manager before she went out to take care of that customer. Mm -hmm. She came back and took care of me. She's like, are you going to be okay? And he took care of you. Did she break the kneecaps? <laughs> yes, she didn't you ever do that again. No, she came back and she goes, are you okay? And she wanted to, she, she, what, wow. what happened? And then she's like, I'm going to go out there and talk to him. But but she wanted to make sure that she had my back. Yeah. And I was like, this is, you know, and this is, it, it didn't take long for her to get out there and she solved the problem and they were fine. How cool is that? But I was like, oh my gosh, she, she was one of those people first managers. And I think that, Particularly when you are working in a high stress, and I know working in an accessory place or a you know accessory store, how high stress can it be? Well, it was because it was Christmas time, and and you were letting everybody cut in line, and I was letting everybody cut in line. I was being a horrible person. I was a horrible, year. I horrible wondered person. What happened that year for Christmas? I know it was it was, it was me. It was me. Okay. So so yeah. So I thought that she 
wanted to take care of me but again mm. not at the expense of losing you know it wasn't a case of uh, you know, us versus i'm uh, picking her side yeah she just wanted to say okay i'm gonna go out there and take care of this and talk to them but are you okay yeah and because it would have been a very stressful time but i was like that's good people first I that's like that. definitely affiliative mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. number seven and the last on our list is laissez-faire okay. i've always had trouble pronouncing it. is it laissez or laissez-faire laissez laissez-faire yeah, it, it reads laissez well, let's go, we'll go with Liz's. Okay, it's we'll kind of like, like gala, gala. I just got tired of it, so I started calling it gala. Because how do you... Oh, <laughs> it's like we're going to have a gala. shindig. <laughs> True. All right, so laissez-faire. Yeah, it involves the least oversight, as the title implies. Mm-hmm. A laissez-faire leader, laissez-faire leader, laissez-faire leader, <laughs> can seem aloof if they don't take an anchored approach to the business goals and demonstrate that to the team. When you say anchored, like they just have people have to know they care. Is that what you're saying? It goes. It's not even caring. It's like they're they're a non presence almost. Mm-hmm. They truly let uh, people do their own thing, almost to a fault. And it's typical that you find this in an atmosphere where there are experienced and motivated team members. Mm-hmm. Something like the entrepreneurial model we were talking about a minute ago. If that type of thing exists, then this is the ideal type of leader because. The people on the team, usually in that situation, can take the initiative. They know how to get the deliverables taken care of. They know the components and where they go. It's not like you're trying to coach you know, new people to the process or anything like that. It's just a hands-off, very, um, very hands-off type thing. Basically the opposite of a micromanager. Yeah, or an autocrat. Or an autocrat. Yeah, I think those situations work. I have always thrived under those types of situations where it's someone who lets me be me and but that's also i'm a kind of as i've shown with a having my own business more of an entrepreneurial spirit it doesn't always work if i work for some place and there's a laissez-faire approach but i don't see other people pulling their weight right. or doing the right thing because then then it becomes a frustration. So if you're going to have that approach, you have to make sure you have the right team in place. Because if someone feels like someone else is taking advantage of this, you know, again... Why do you look at me when you say No, no. Wait a second. Again, I don't think people should assume the worst about people. It's kind of like the whole work from home. Well, they can't work from home. They won't do anything. Well, a lot of people are very productive from home. But we've all worked at places where we've known that person who just does just enough to get by and doesn't even do it well. But they, if you have a manager who doesn't come in, then you feel frustrated because you can't change that other person. You can't move that person to another department. You can't motivate that person. You can try, but it does take someone from the top. So those kinds of situations, I think, work, like you said, very well if it's um, an organization that is full of people who are driven maybe entrepreneurial spirit themselves. And they have a lot of experience. And they have a lot of experience, yeah. and they've worked together. Um, you don't need someone to be a micromanager or, you know, that kind of thing. After reading all those, did any one stand out to you as the best? I mean, I kind of, we kind of talked about Democratic being one of the better ones, uh, as well as Coach, but could you see a, a, a mixture of those that would work best? A combination of all seven would be best. Yes. There are seven days in the week. 
seven just, different management styles. Just, just be one different every day. One every day. Yeah. Just yeah. hope hope that the one that is laissez faire is on the weekend. Yes. Well, that would be lazy fair. <laughs> lazy fair. No, I think you're right. A combination is probably good because you don't want. Sometimes you don't want or need a coach. Sometimes you truly do need the authoritative inspiration, follow me. I know what we're doing. Uh, I think a company will need that. And sometimes it's like that it may be a different type of company or it may be throughout the same company, different times. Like when you're just starting out, you may need to be a little bit more authoritative and then maybe coach and then maybe laissez-faire because you've built your team. That's one thing I noticed when I was looking at the context of these seven styles put in the order that they were. It's almost evolutionary. Yeah. When you when you start, maybe let's say that you and your team are starting from day one. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to tend to be more authoritative or autocratic. And that's of a necessity. If, if you just let them go and do what they want to do, it's not likely you will accomplish anything the way that you need to with the type of quality, the type of consistency, or in any kind of time frame. Well, and also, again, if you're starting a business, it's got to be your vision. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to, to establish that. And some it's going to take time for people to get caught up on what the vision is or understand and, and buy in. So, yeah, you probably do need to be a little bit more follow me. I'm... I've got an idea. I've got a vision. I've brought you on. Follow me. And then you kind of, like you said, you evolve to where you work into more of a spotting the talent that you want to cultivate. A good manager almost always hires people that are smarter or better than they are. Yeah. But it's based on a vision mm-hmm. that they have. And then they cultivate that so that person can take that role on in the team. Do you think that managers, uh, let's say that you're the owner of the company, would you take on a team member with an idea at, at first of maybe this person is a candidate to go ahead and succeed me? Early on, I don't know. I think early on, if you start thinking about who's succeeding you, then I don't know if you're 100% in your business. No, no, I don't mean that's the the overarching theme for the person's hiring. I'm talking about that's one of several factors. Oh, that okay, come you into see the is equation. it yeah. It depends on what your long-term strategy is, and I don't know how much you can get from early on. I think finding someone who's going to succeed you whether it's you're going to sell the business to them or if you're not going to sell but you're going to have them move into basically the management position that controls day to day while you may maybe still own i think that's kind of the something that happens over time mm, but yeah. i think you can maybe again spotting talent you can spot that spark but not everybody who's very very talented is also entrepreneurial they have other things they want to do and they and they just don't they, they just don't there's nothing about it and it's not it's not a judgment it's like it's not for everybody so i think finding someone who will be your you know go to your succeed succeed you i think is going to take time but i think people should be thinking about when you hire someone their potential and not just cogs in a wheel um there are going to be always going to be tasks that people you know do and there are always going to be people who this is just what they want to do you don't want to hire them or, and promote them out of their expertise and out of their interest. Yeah, yeah. One thing um, I find interesting about just management styles in general mm-hmm. is it's important to find one that works for you, but also 
for your business and your employees. Somebody may be totally comfortable in the, is it something that am I the best manager I can be for my team? Right. And is there something I can take from each of each of these, all seven? Can I incorporate something and create my own management style? Yeah. Yeah, that's a valid concern. And most of the time, I think, especially in the past, the past being before the great American resignation and mm-hmm. things that have happened during the COVID pandemic, I think that, that the authoritarian approach was appropriate or viewed as appropriate by companies who specialized in commoditized mm-hmm. merchandise or mer- commoditized uh, goods and services, fast food, for example. Uh, a factory floor, for example. If you're in that situation, you know, you take for granted, I think, that there are going to be a certain number of openings that you'll have to process throughout the year, mm-hmm. a certain number amount of turnover. And you just have to kind of build that in, make it into your business and, and move from there. Yeah, there's going to be natural turnover for some. And there are some people who they don't want to be part of a team that is as collaborative and as communicative. Some people just want to work a job. But I think that if you look at your environment, look at the type of business you have, look at the type of employees and look at yourself, I think anything can be, can be approved, improved upon or honed a little bit better. And just becoming a better manager, I think is, is a good, a good thing for yourself and your business. One of the things we wanted to talk about in this podcast is we've talked about roles and goals and setting roles, but how do you know what it is that you're supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And sometimes people will um, just, you know, they're they're self-aware and they know what they're good at or what they're interested in. But sometimes you might need an assistance of some sort through a, whether it's a personality test or an online uh, quiz. We've asked Scott and Jane to talk a little bit about what they did years ago to kind of fine-tune their roles in their company. And they used a thing called the DISC profile. Uh, Jane, can you tell us a little bit about what the DISC profile is? Well, DISC stands for dominance, D for dominance, I for influence, C for conscientiousness, and S for steadiness. And so based on your answers and taking the test was, it it doesn't make any sense when you're taking the test because it's just a bunch of random words. But interestingly, I, for me, it pegged me exactly. Um, And it was very um, enlightening because I knew these things about myself, but it wasn't until I took the test that it sort of put it all together for me. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that's, that's me. That's exactly me. So it was, it was able to identify what my strengths were and what my strengths weren't. Sometimes I know I've seen there's some controversy with uh, these tests and that if you use them for hiring, some people might find that that's not, that you maybe shouldn't use them for hiring, but I think they can be a great tool to identify for yourself. It's for your own benefit to, to learn about yourself. Well, from, from that standpoint, um, I think it is a great tool because if you're trying to put together a group of people as a team, 
you need to be aware of what the personality traits are of your team members. That's what I was going to ask you about was the, the aspect of having people on your team and taking some sort of inventory. The, the usefulness of that and the way that it sort of determines your path forward with that person. Well, you know, as, as we all know on any of these tests, um, it's just a guide. You know, it's just, it's just a way to um, glean a little bit of information about how someone reacts under pressure, how they uh, react in a normal day-to-day setting. Um, and it's, it's a, for us, it was a great tool to be able to um, at least know what someone's um, traits might be. Um, and, and not that, you know, not that we look for people with certain, you know, we said, well, okay, we have this many people have this trait and we're looking for people mm-hmm. to fit this trait. You know, we just wanted to make sure that collectively as a group um, of employees that we could all work together. And, um, you know, if we, if there was a trait that we, you know, felt wouldn't be productive to the success of our company, then, you know, at least we, we could identify that through the test and we could decide at that point, you know, this person's going to fit or they're not going to fit. Right. Yeah, I think it's, it can be kind of part of the mix. You're going to look at their work history. You're going to have the interview. You're going to do all these things. But knowing a little bit about them kind of helps you decide if they're going to be a good mix. Also, I do remember at a company I worked at, we took the DISC profile, not for a hiring part, but also but after you were hired, so they would know how to manage you. So my supervisor was a D, which was very a person who's very dominant, dominant yeah. matter of fact, and she realized she had to dial that back a little bit. And she realized when working with me, someone who was an I, she had to expect that I'm going to do a lot of talking and it's going to be a lot of high energy and she's going to have to just kind of go with the flow. Mm-hmm. So, but knowing that she's like less frustrated with me and I was less frustrated with her because we kind of knew each other and met each other halfway. Well, I, I will say one thing about this, you know, back when um, Jane and I um, bought the company from Jane's folks, back in those days, there there was no testing. You know, if we needed to hire somebody, you could walk and talk and chew gum or whatever. You know, if you look good, you smell good, you know, <laughs> you probably were going to get the job, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that um, you're taking a chance. You're taking a chance that you're going to make, you're going to hire people that just don't fit with what you're looking for and what's going to help you be successful. And these tests are, I mean, they're, they're not expensive, so you know the you don't really have that as a barrier to entry. There are a lot of tests and a lot of um, resources available to small business people today that they can utilize to help them uh, make the right kind of choices. I mean, another test that we also did um, was the um, uh, the Wonderlick test, um, and the Wonderlick test is a Uh, It's a 50-question, 12-minute time test that um, primarily deals with critical thinking skills. Um, You know, today, uh, and I I think it's been in practice for many, many years, um, the NFL um, uh, administers the test to all incoming rookies in the NFL. And um, um, there again, it's a a way for the teams to judge, you know, how does this this potential um, team member um, deal with, uh, with their 
critical thinking skills in all kinds of different um, situations. So we did the, you know, we did the the, the Wonderlick test for all of our employees, and um, there again, it was just another tool that we could evaluate. You know, how well do they process information and um, someone who, who scores high on the Wonderlick, um, they're someone who, um, if they're presented with a new task, um, you give them that information um, and they'll be able to process it and be able to do the task very easily. Someone who scores very low on the Wonderlick, you assign them with a task, you tell them how to do it, they go off. They forget, they come back. Now, how do I do that? You tell them again, they go off, they come back, you tell them again. Eventually they will get it, but they don't get it as quickly as someone who scores higher. I think different skills fit different positions and these tests are a good way to judge based on what we know about that position, who would be a good fit. There's not a one size fit all solution. Even across several of these type of tests, it just kind of still boils down to a case-by-case -case thing. Absolutely. Person, mm -hmm. person to person. Mm -hmm. Now, we talked about in case of hiring and setting up employees for success, you guys also took these tests. And what did you find enlightening about it? And what, how did you take the results and apply them to how you guys ran, run your business now? Hmm. Well, initially... Um, when, when we first came to know about these tests, um, we took them, but at the time we were both doing more of a generalist job. I would dabble in accounting and sales and different things. And we hadn't really necessarily delineated into completely different roles. But when we, after we took the tests, it became obvious that I needed to concentrate on the accounting and that side of the business. Scott needed to be in the sales side of the business. And um, it made for a much happier work life and therefore home life. We weren't stepping on each other's toes. And did you feel afterwards more comfortable because it was aligned with your personality and your skills? Absolutely. You know, sometimes you the strengths that you think you have, you really don't. And um, your partner um, who says that she's better at something than you are, really is you know when it comes to the accounting side that is her strength and it comes to the, the the sales and the marketing side that is my strength and that's where i would rather be i you know i don't find joy in doing the things that she does she loves that and um conversely she doesn't like doing the things that i do you know she finds that you know, numbers are my friend. Numbers are her friend. That's right. You know, dealing with, I mean, she likes to deal with customers, but I really enjoy dealing with customers. Well, our previous, one of our previous episodes, we talked about roles and goals. And one of the things is we think about like a, a Venn diagram. What do you have talent? What do you take joy in? And what do you have time for? Should be that sweet spot of where you focus your role. Uh, time is something that can change depending on the business, but what you have talent for and what you take joy in 
are top priorities, I think, when you're trying to figure out your role because well, it, you know, it, it, it makes it make sense. Well, it also it also makes you enjoy your job more. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you have the luxury of being able to do the things that you really enjoy, then um, you know your job is not really a job. Right. There's always going to be those tasks that nobody wants to do as part of being a business owner. But if you can design your job and like it looks like you guys were able to say, OK, here's my role. Here's your role based on what we want to do, what we have talent and what we you know take joy in. Let's do it that way. Well, you know, another thing is, is by, you know, utilizing these tests and being able to have the right people on staff allows us to do the things that, you know, we like to do in terms of how we run the business. Um, you know, if we didn't have the right people on staff and we had to micromanage our staff and we had to constantly be, you know, making sure that they're doing what needs to be done and not being able to focus on the things that we need to focus on, then um, I, I think that, you know, it would make for a, uh, an environment where we weren't happy. So it was interesting that you said sometimes, um, like Jane knew more about you than you knew about yourself because that's one of the things is when you were trying to figure out your role you need to know who you are and about yourself and that's not necessarily something everyone can do these tests can help you identify stuff that you might have been blind to just because you don't really know yourself as well as you think or it's hard to be objective about or it's hard it. to be objective. Or, it, or it affirms what you may have have thought all along Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when, when we did the tests, when we did the disc, the disc personality profile, um, mine was um, an inspirational. That's what you are. Inspirational. Inspirational. Yeah. 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 So, and sometimes you have to take personality tests or any kind of test with a grain of salt. I took the Myers-Briggs thing and I don't know if I did it wrong or I answered something, but I somehow I came up introverted, which... And then I went around to everybody in the office. Guess what? I'm introverted. Do you know I'm introverted? Who knew I was introverted? And they're like, but you could be an extroverted introvert. I could be an extroverted introvert. I think I'm on the like the. There's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. I think I'm an omnivert. But when I took the test, somehow I must have answered a certain way. But it just struck me as so ironic that here I am going around telling a bunch of people, going all up in their face about how introverted I I am. (laughs) What that means is that we've come up in this episode with a new personality descriptor, the omnivert. 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 Although now with the pandemic, I don't know if I want anything with Omni in it. The Enneagram has been the new thing that people are taking to find out their personalities. Or as you were saying, what were you calling it earlier? Enigma. Enigmagram. Enigmagram. So we we all four of us took an online Enneagram thing. And again, is this much more than this, you know, than your horoscope as far as personality descriptions. I don't know. But this, what I, what I thought was so funny is that Scott and Jane are the exact same Enneagram. That is funny. I, you it's were, just hilarious. And you guys well, are totally different personality yeah. types based on what you were talking about with the disc and with the other thing. But I kind of see how you guys could both well, be at Enneagram. I'm consistent. You are consistent. Because I'm a perfectionist perfectionist i could see that. on the disc and i'm a perfectionist on the enneagram scott's that way too a what? perfectionist on the enneagram but not on the other thing. i'm just an inspirational not- perfectionist yes well when you guys looked at the so it's not an omnivert it's an insperfectionist <laughs> vert <laughs> yes got it well on the last page you guys are both ones it had the type 
in relationships. And so the first one is type ones with type ones. And what does it say? Tend to be organized and accomplished. I think that you guys, for sure. Yeah. I think well, you guys are organized and accomplished. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and I this was just kind of kind of fun. Glenn and I took it too, and we're not the same. You guys are both type ones. Um, I'm an Enneagram Seven, the enthusiast, the enthusiast, enthusiast. And I am the <laughs> type nine, which is the peacemaker. Yeah, and when we were looking at these, oh, let's see how we work together. Sevens and type nines tend to be both passionate and peaceful, which kind of seems... Oxymoron. Yeah, but, oh well, we'll go with it. Peace-ashionate. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But when we looked at it, I was like, you know, I could definitely see Glenn as a peacemaker. He's like one of these... But not passionate? No. And his like I'm the, I guess I'm the the enthusiast so I'm the passion you're the peacemaker, but I could see him because he's a very calming, you know, effect. So if there are things I saw on both of these that like fit me. I'm like, yeah, my fear is getting stuck in a rut, missing out on some good you know good things in life. I like to seek out new things, and um, I feel like I try to be upbeat and optimistic about things. Um, I didn't used to be, but post-cancer diagnosis, I became more of a glass-half-full kind of person. Because that, I have to say, really did change things for Jody. Mm-hmm. When I first met you, yeah. I was just I, full of anger. And well, yeah, I, I only could spend about three minutes it was a week crazy. around her. I was very, I was like, just, yeah. It was like listening to one of those death metal concerts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, I was very, very, <laughs> Scott and Jane are sticking around for our segment C, which is Yay. our fun segment. And we thought, you know what? Let's give them a couple's quiz. See yeah. how well they know each other. Okay? Nothing awkward or anything. Mm-mm. Aren't you glad? Mm-mm. I'm seeing smiles. Mm-mm. Happy I'm terrified. Faces. Right. And it's funny. This is the exact same. These are the exact same questions Glenn and I did on our first episode to see how well we knew each other. We will ask you guys a question and that you and what'll happen is you'll have to answer it for what you think is Scott's answer and you have to be ready to answer what that is. For example, what's your favorite color? That's not one of these these you'd have to say, Oh, Scott's favorite color is blue and you say, Well, no, it's red or purple or whatever. And then vice versa. Okay? We have four questions. Are we ready? Glenn, will you ask the first question? I, I will. What did your partner want to be? When they grew up. So think back when they were a little kid. I'm sure they've, you've had this conversation before. Give me a few minutes. Um, all right. You have to, so you have to know your answer and then what you think your partner's answer is. So, Scott, what did Jane want to be when she grew up? She wanted to be a pilot. Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not far. No, she Not wanted to far. be. She wanted to. I, I can't think of what the what the the name of it is. Um, but it, she, um, she's an equestrian um, rider. Yes, that would jump over hurdles and stuff like that. Do that professionally. Very different than a, than a pilot. A pilot. If, well, she had a job where. Oh. She had a job at a stable where. She was, you know, cleaning the stable. She'd pilot in one place and then pilot in a different place. Yeah. I was cleaning stalls. Pilot, okay. And I, my dad, but said that I was you, pilot. you did know that she wanted to be an equestrian, of course. Oh, sorry. Ah, and I wanted. But to... she's not going to know what I wanted to be. Okay, we'll give a I guess. I did. I did want to 
do something with animals. Well, that so win for you. Ding. Or wait, are you going to do the sound effect later? Sound effect here. <laughs> All right, and now what did? I want the rim shot. All right, so what did Scott want to be? Take a guess. A business owner. And your answer is? I don't know that I ever had any aspiration of one thing versus another. Uh, seriously. Um, that's kind of sad. I, I know. <laughs> I, I know it is. You didn't like even want to be like an astronaut or a rock star? I wanted to be a football player. There you go. Football I wanted, player. I wanted to be a football player. I loved football. Well, did you play at all when you were in grade school or Pop Warner or anything well, like that? Well, football in college and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. So. He was fast. Very fast. But what position did you play? Receiver. Okay. Defensive back. Oh, a dual threat. Yeah. Tag gum. All right, so. And you were a free agent? And, and did you sign on with maybe someone in the USFL or the, the Canadian League? The Estonian League. Estonian, okay. Well, those guys are, yeah. They're tough. That is hardcore. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, neither do I. I'm like, I... Actually, neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just playing along with Glenn. All right, question number two. This is current day, okay? What is your partner's biggest pet peeve? Your partner's biggest pet peeve. And again, you have to know your answer plus for your partner. Scott. What is Jane's biggest pet peeve? People not following, you know, the the established rules that have been set. You like rule followers and things. Is that true? Yeah, that is, that, that is a good choice. I had several. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one big pet peeve. I have several pet peeves. Actually... This- this My could whole be life is a pet peeve. Our entire season two is coming up. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, now. And Scott's pet peeve. Mm, people not fulfilling their promises. Oh, got a, got a facial expression that yep. said that's, that was what, yeah. what, do you also have a long list of pet peeves? Or is that just one of them? No. That was the biggest one? No, but, you know. If you it, say you're going to do something. Do it. Do it. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't, uh. It bothers me to no end if someone makes a commitment and they just don't follow through. Yeah. All right. Third question. What is something that is really popular? I'm supposed to take this one. Oh, I'm sorry. And you're yours. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go go back to your Instagram. Go back in it deep. Delve deep. Where is somewhere that your spouse has always wanted to visit? Turks and Caicos. So we, oh, do, we love we love we love the beach. By yeah. the way, Turks and Caicos, if you're listening, you could be a sponsor <laughs> of Couples Inc. podcast. All right. Well, now this has become a travel podcast. <laughs> Question four, and this kind of ties into what we were just talking about earlier about the soggy dollar bar. This is no, mine. Yeah. I, I ask. Yeah. Okay. What would your spouse say is your biggest strength? Scott's biggest strength. He's a visionary. Okay, what is Jane's biggest strength? Well, since we're talking about business, I would say Jane's biggest strength is her ability to dig into a problem and figure it out. All right, anything else? This is our how do you, well, do you know each other? And Are we oh. supposed to do this? We've already done this. We've already done this. Yeah. Did you want to ask us other questions? 
to put us on the hot seat, you can, but it's up to you. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> no, no, I mean, we weren't going to we weren't going we to be. It's a process. I think we'll have to come back for another podcast and <laughs> <Yeah>. ask you questions. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Couples Inc., a place where we help couples work better together. We drop new episodes the first and third Wednesday of each month, but to make sure you don't miss a show, follow us wherever fine podcasts are published. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to support the podcast, share it with others, post it on social media, or leave a rating or review. And please visit our website, couplesincpodcast.com. That's couplesincpodcast.com. To learn more about us, review show notes, or leave us a message. Until next time.